Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 10th, 2021, you're listening to the best PokerCast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm a much smarter Scott Long this week. <laughs> it's all because of you, buddy. It's what I'm here for, buddy. I live to inspire. So last week, uh, we talked about the Monty Hall problem that was on Survivor. And don't worry, we are going to talk about it more, but there's always a poker tie-in. We always find a poker tie-in, right? Exactly. Um, and uh, I made a complete idiot out of myself because I did not realize the, quote, Monty Hall problem was a real thing. So, yeah. you know, when I was impressed that uh, this 20-year-old kid, Xander, uh, said Monty Hall instead of Wayne Brady, it was because he actually knew the Monty Hall problem, and me approaching 50 here had never heard of it before. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's <laughs> hilarious. So, of course, I fell down the rabbit hole uh, because I wanted to become smarter, and uh, I don't know whether I'm smarter or not, Chris. Mm, probably not. So, here's my problem with what I've read, and there's a lot to read about this out there, folks. I mean, somebody actually wrote an entire book on this Monty Hall problem, yeah. and I haven't read that yet, so... Uh, so what I think is fascinating is this is what my research showed it and, and feel free to jump in if you've heard different, but this really became a thing in 1990 when parade magazine, you know, that uh, crappy little thing they insert in the Sunday newspaper back when people used to get the Sunday newspaper. Yep. Uh, they posted the Monty Hall problem, obviously named after the let's make a deal host, which makes sense and three doors and all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. And it created a firestorm of controversy with not just normal idiots like you and me arguing over whether it's correct or not, but PhD mathematicians arguing each over, arguing with each over uh, each other over yep. whether it's correct or not. Yep. yep, I read all of that. Yep, it's fascinating. And so, uh, so th this is kind of my understanding. And again, uh, slap me around if I'm wrong, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for a normal, rational, non-mathematic person, that would be me. Uh, it was it was hard for me to understand last week when you know well you have to change your choice after they take one away, right? Because I, it's still a one in three chance. I mean, obviously now in a poker world, as we keep talking about, that you know after the flop you have to reassess and maybe you need a different you have more information now, right? So you can reassess. So essentially, if you break it down, it's a second completely second uh, challenge that's now a 50-50 chance. So that part I get, right? But still, overall, it's still a one in three chance. I mean, it's not a three-card Monty where they move the the ice cream cone under the baseball cap around, right? It's Everything's still there. So that's my problem with it, right? Um, <laughs> you already got some stuff wrong. But go ahead. Keep going. 
So uh, I, I guess what I, I, I don't understand is, I mean, what, what they like, how they, how the people that believe in this Monty Hall problem and that you have to switch present it is because of this, what I call cruise ship magician magic trick, right? And uh, a, a trick so easy and lame that your father-in-law would have gotten booed off the stage for doing it. Right. So essentially what they're saying is Monty Hall or uh, Jeff Probes, they, they know which is the correct box or door or whatever. Right. Mm. So when you pick one, they automatically pick one that they know is not the right one. They're not going to reveal the right one right away. Right. Of course. Because they want to create that new drama. Right. Um, and the way it was explained to you is think of it as not just three doors, but a uh, hundred doors. And they get you down to two after that, which makes you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so close. But it plays on your emotions, right? In your in your in your mind, it's an easy trick for gullible people, which sadly most of people are gullible, right? Uh, but it doesn't change the the odds at all. That's what I'm still having a problem with, and I, I'm happy that there are a number of PhD mathematicians that agree. With me. So, well, tell me how I, I I'll just tell you the way it was put to me and the way I've read it on multiple explanations like Wikipedia where people have spent it out and they've actually talked about this whole Ask Marilyn entry into Parade Magazine and all that stuff. So here's the deal. Let's say Wayne Brady and you were together in Vegas doing Let's Make a Deal and it's exactly the way we're talking about where there's three doors, you pick yours, he reveals one that obviously has the goat and the car's behind one of the two that are remaining. Could be yours, could be the other one. If I walk up to that Wayne Brady and he says, hey, Chris, pick between this one or two, it's 50-50. Because the other door doesn't matter to me now. That's not a problem that I had. For me, it would be 50-50. But it's not for me. It's now for you. When you chose your door, at that moment, you had a one and three shot. But since we're sticking with you and we've showed you one that's not there, you've now gained an extra 33.3%. And so... Correct. Not at the one you're choosing, but at moving. If you don't, if you don't change, and that's what happens. They ran all of the models. They ran it, and they said every time you switched your pick, you had a two-thirds chance of winning rather than a one-third, and the numbers lined up. If you stayed, you were still at 33% because you didn't choose to. Only if you change your pick do you gain that extra two-thirds percent, and thank you very much. If, if you stay... <laughs> It's 33% because now you didn't do anything different. They gave you a free 33.3% by showing you one of the doors and gave you another chance to change. That's how you gain it. It's no longer, it's not 50-50. It's never 50-50 for you because you had to do three doors and you had a one in three shot when you were picking originally. Now, when you pick again, you're picking among the same three scenario. Even though that one is open you're gaining an extra 33.3% by changing. If you don't change, it stays at one in three, and you'll always win one in three times. But by changing, you gain. And like you said it yourself, the, the way to really help understand it is, let's imagine there were 99 doors, and you got down to two, right? It, those other 98 doors now only matter if you change. If you don't change, then it's you're just down to two, and it's still a coin flip for someone who walks up and says, oh, I'll choose two instead of one. 
But because you had the knowledge of knowing the other ones and all of those are figured in, if you change, you've got a 99% chance now, whatever it is, whatever the numbers are when you do it that way. But with the three, you gain that extra third because you're still in that one in three scenario and you've changed. If you stayed, it'd be one third. If you change, it's two thirds. And it, they ran all the models and it proved it. That's the, it's, it's demonstrably true. And so it, I, I was impressed the kid knew it, but he probably knew it because he saw the movie, not because he's a mathematician. No, could be, could be. He's a smart kid. He's he's yeah. survived this, this right, entire right. game. Should been out with we too, but right. Hmm. All right. I mean, hey, I I don't question the math. If I was good at math, I wouldn't be uh, hosting a podcast with you. I'd be actually making money for my family. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, so I I do believe in the math, and I saw all the algorithm, Pythagorism, whatever the isms there were. That it's like what bears rule or something. I don't know what it was, but there there were a lot of like weird symbols that I didn't know. And yeah. so I, I trust the math. It just, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense that just because this cruise ship magician magically lets you know that out of the hundred doors, you pick one of the two that wasn't, uh, uh, one of the two that was the correct one based on the knowledge that he has that you don't have nobody else has. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough it's, because it's, when you see two doors, you think it's 50-50. But it's not because you're in the problem right now. You're part of the mathematical problem with that third door being revealed. It's, it's, it's not you walking up to it and someone else is already in the problem. And then it's 50-50 for you. It's that you're in there and you're given another chance to add that free guess. That's two guesses for the price of one that you're getting. Even though they don't reveal your first guess, you're given a second guess at a 33% chance yeah, for each one. That actually makes sense Right. I get, you I get you now. Good. You know, when I first saw this on the file, you know, our little banter thing, I was reminded of uh, when I first started working for the St. Petersburg Times back in 1995. We had two columnists, and they both had huge heads. And <laughs> if something happened on Sunday and the columnist was working on that Sunday, he would write about it for Monday. And yet, mysteriously, in the Tuesday edition, the other columnist would write about it too. <laughs> and I thought... Why is that happening? And then my boss would say, well, it hasn't been said until he said it. And I'm, I thought, that's what Scott's doing today. He, yes. he felt that's terrible last sense. week, so he wanted to rectify that situation and redeem no, himself. I, I mean, I didn't feel terrible. I feel terrible now that I didn't realize this was a thing. But uh, <laughs> I was just excited that I did the research and, uh, and still had not been... Convinced. convinced now yeah I, I definitely get the hey we've got we've got two bites of the apple argument uh, i still don't know why that means i have to switch though it just it seems like i've got a better chance of winning now because i got two bites of the apple well yeah and let's let's <laughs> let's be clear let's be clear you don't have to switch it's just the odds are better to switch rule, the rule is that you should switch you should it's switch not, right because the odds it's, it's negative EV not to switch is what the... Right, exactly. But you still can win by not switching. But you would have won at a 33% rate. So you would have won, but like, like Deshaun guy did on Survivor. He did win by not switching. But he won at a one-third rate rather than if he had switched two-thirds of the time, he would have won. This time, he only would have won because he only won one-third. You know what I mean? It's still... You don't have to switch. Just mathematically, it makes sense to switch. That's it. So, all right, let's move on to poker. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Poker players are speaking about their displeasure with the Monty Hall problem. Oh, and, uh, and also reopening plans 
of Encore Boston Harbor's poker room. The room, which had 74 tables before closing for COVID, has set a plans to reopen February 1st with just 12 tables and limited hours. The casino spokesman said staffing issues and a lack of real estate on the gaming floor are forcing the drastically smaller room. While some players are suggesting the casino is deliberately opening the small room for no reason other than to appease the state's gaming uh, regulators who have fi- fielded numerous complaints from players over the room not reopening. Okay, so the gist I got by reading this was that people believe it's a tax problem that because the amount of space that table games takes up, they're taxed at a much lower rate if they have at least a certain amount of table games. It's like 25% instead of 50 or something. And so that was one of the reasons they reopened it, and that's why they're complaining. Because, But the other thing is that really the players don't have a leg to stand on. As long as they take care of that bad beat money, the room is allowed to do whatever they want. The casino is allowed to do whatever they want. They can just close it all together. And what are you going to do? You know, so I don't see how they have an argument. Uh, they should be happy they have somebody opening up. And, that, and I, don't, I feel terrible saying that. I, I want to defend poker players. That's what we're in the business for. But it's like you can speculate that's why they're opening it for the tax implications or whatever. But just be grateful they opened the room at all. And I would believe that staffing is a problem because we've read it and seen it all over the country, including the World Series. Staffing is a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, the one difference here is that um, uh, I'm not an expert on Massachusetts gaming law, but I have learned a little bit about it. And there does seem to be a caveat in the gaming license there that poker is um, offered or, or needs to be offered. For their license or maybe as part of the taxing thing as well too right but but there is some something there that i don't believe is in many other state gaming regulations that that states that you know if you have a casino you have to have a poker room um now they were probably getting away with it for a while because of covid and you know things have always been a little dress i mean different with covid as people as we try to get out of it right um so i think that that's really where this this push came from was you know, if you read back to the uh, the articles with the, the gaming regulators getting all these emails from players saying, hey, how come poker isn't back? And then eventually kind of like leaning on um, the casino to say, hey, you know, you do need to offer poker. Now, um, I believe, I'm going to guess, uh, I feel fairly confident guessing that 12 tables and limited hours is probably a minimum. <laughs> yes. Requirement, so they are doing it to satisfy what that is, and uh, they have essentially given up on poker, um, which is, as you mentioned, they're right um, to the extent that they can. So, um, so yeah, it, it's it's horrible for the players up there. I mean, I mean, it's a beautiful seventy-four table room, from what I understood. I never saw it, but uh, but it looked gorgeous in the room. I mean, in the photos, and people seem to really enjoy playing there. Um, so it, it's very sad. Um, but, you know, we've seen this elsewhere. You, you mentioned, obviously, the staffing issues, which um, are, are horrible everywhere. Um, but then the, then just the realization uh, that we've always known that poker doesn't pay the bills, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's for every GM that supports poker, there are 10 GMs out there that want to get rid of it. And uh, COVID was a great excuse to get rid of it at a lot of rooms. You know, we, we kept... We actually, I quit uh, checking our, re- our uh, reopening thing, although folks keep emailing me if you get updates. But I kind of quit because I got to the point where it didn't seem like there's any more movement out there, that the, the rooms that haven't reopened don't seem likely to reopen. So, right. 
Uh, it's frustrating. Um, and the other thing that I, I will say this, though, I mean, because people complain about the bad beat everywhere, and I'm not going to suggest that there aren't uh, casinos who have violated gaming regulations on it or found creative ways around it. But generally speaking, that money is protected in every state jurisdiction. Um, now, how they give it out, if they don't reopen the room, it may not be the way you liked it to. And when we've seen that some other places, it's been, you know, a free roll tournament or just a drawing or something like that. But they do have to give it back. So I, the, the argument that this money is gone, it, it doesn't sit well with me because it's, it's not gone. Right, um, right. So once this room reopens, uh, I have full faith that that, that jackpot will be back. Um, obviously, it's going to be harder to hit now because there's only going to be 12 tables and limited hours rather than 74 tables going 24-7. So it will be there. So They could do uh, a large, I think, right? You're allowed to do like a larger tournament if you wanted to and guarantee you with that money. Is that how they <laughs> Depends on the gaming, gaming uh, individual states, yeah. yeah but yeah, okay. so every every state has its own rules for. But it, the money, uh, as far as I know, in every gaming uh, jurisdiction, has to go. If it's a player's money, it has to go back to players in some way. So yeah, just no matter how you do. That. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. But you know, hey, uh, get there early when they open February first. You know, on those twelve tables. Sorry, folks. Uh, but MGM Springfield is back open now, and uh, hey, and our good friend Elliot Schechter, who. Um, that's our call the floor. He's a short three-hour drive from there at uh, Rivers Casino, and he's happy to have you. So, and they're expanding. So, cool. All right, Johnny Chan's 88 Social Club in Texas closed abruptly last weekend, leaving players without access to their safe deposit boxes or the ability to cash in chips. Mike Matisau later said he has had discussions with Chan about buying and reopening the club. Matisau says Chan told him his business partner fled with the money the room had in the bank and players' safe deposit boxes. God, that's, that's just tragic. I mean, if that's the case, I mean, one, it's tough to handle. If you're a player thinking, I can't get into this building, my money's in a safe deposit box, then you find out on Mattisau's show that it doesn't matter. Somebody took your safe deposit box and, and went off to Mexico with it or something. Oh, man, that's just terrible. And it yeah, doesn't put poker in a good light here. either. Yeah, yeah, I'll be clear. The information we have here is secondhand from Mattisau, from right, Chance. So right. I mean, we may find out later that none of this is true. Or, And even Mattisau said he had um, suspicions about, um, or, or at least questions about... How much of it was there. true, right? Yeah, Chance. So we don't exactly know what's true. But assuming this information that we have is... Uh, obviously, it's horrible news for the folks that, uh, that play in that room and, and had money in the same deposit boxes. I mean, this is... If that's the case, it, that's some serious grand theft there. And uh, I don't know what your chances are of getting that money back. Uh, but the larger issue is that this is another uh, stain on the Texas versioning poker industry out there, which has just exploded um, and has faced issues as they've grown. Um, and, uh, you know, if we have two more many of these kind of situations, uh, this is when regulation starts. And, and regulation normally, in my opinion, is a good thing because it protects players even if it doesn't give you all the options that you want. Um, but regulation could mean no more poker social clubs. Yeah. It could mean, hey, we're going to open casinos, and they're only going to be in these three cities, and the rest of these clubs have to shut down. Um, and that's not good for anybody in Texas. So um, it's, it's a frustrating thing. And I know there's some Texas um, owners that have banded together. I mean, when we were publishing, they were doing some tournaments to – raise some money to support legal fees on and making sure that this um, private club um, interpretation stands up. 
Um, so there are ones working together, but th this is the real problem, I think, for the Texas poker uh, club operators is they really do need to band together and protect each other and ostracize these ones that aren't doing um, the right thing because it makes them all look bad, right? Yeah, and, and apparel. one of the things that's shocking to me, and I, I'm not calling out Mattisau here or anything, but why would you want to buy a club that is just basically this lightning um you know rod for problem now i mean you you know that somebody stole money from this club you know that the club is now everyone's going to know about this club and they're going to be investigating it and everything why would you even want to get even near that that you know hornet's nest right now and and put money into it knowing that all those players are going to be showing up looking for their cash. You're not going to reimburse them. This isn't going to be full tilt, you know, getting bought out by poker stars and making everybody whole again. I mean, that to me, I would just, I would, I couldn't be far enough away from that club right now, no matter what. If somebody said to me, hey, you got some money you want to invest, that's the last thing I invest in ever. Well, especially considering that it doesn't seem like you have to have any uh, approval to open your own club anywhere. You right, exactly. You need a lease, and uh, that's it. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not like it's a, like in Florida where there's limited um, uh, gaming establishments, and so if you want to get in the business here, you've got to pay a big dollar to buy one of them. Uh, with Texas, you know, you and I can go out there and lease a room and put a couple tables in there and have our own poker room, right? So, yeah, yeah it, you're right. So, I mean, it, I, I wonder if, if some of this is the kind of the poker camaraderie that we kind of like and also – seems kind of odd on the outside right that yeah. um you know players help each other when they're down but yeah it, it it is an interesting scenario here and uh hope it all resolves itself the best best way possible but uh it seems pretty scary right now and uh uh probably uh and i mean no disrespect to other texas clubs because obviously um they're they're going to feel the brunt of this but might be a good reminder not to keep any money in a safe deposit box. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. unsafe deposit box. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You can go to a bank and keep it there, and you have a better chance of it, uh, still being there tomorrow. So uh, not as convenient, but uh, but just safe. Uh, I mean, again, it's a lot like our old online talks, right? You know, hey, it's fun to play online, uh, unregulated online, but it's the wild, wild west. So, you know, yeah. win a lot. But, uh, you know, when someone steals from you, uh, the sheriff doesn't care. <laughs> so, Right, online pro, uh, online pro Dusty Schmidt has died unexpectedly at age 40. Schmidt, known for his uh, long sessions online, was one of the first players to earn supernova status on PokerStars and was on his way to a professional golf career in his early 20s before suffering a heart attack. Uh, we're just uh, doom and gloom today, aren't we? Yeah, right? And these young ones kill me. I mean, they really do. I mean, uh, and, and, and Dusty, it, it was kind of interesting to me just to realize he was only 40. When I heard this, because I remember seeing, you know, bits on uh, World Series broadcast that seemed like 10 years ago with him. Right. Yeah. You know how he, he was good to his golf, had a heart attack and then found poker and then just became this online super grinder. Um, and that just seems like 20, 30 years ago. Um, yeah. when it must have been only 10. So uh, very sad. Uh, married, uh, I think, three kids as well, too, which makes it, you know, quadruply sad. So. Very frustrating. Unreal. Unbelievable. Uh, any updates? Papes, the Andy Up fans, free online tournament series on PokerStars. Play money sites available everywhere. 
Details on how to join can be found at bit.ly slash PAIPS. Games run at 6, 16th, and 26th every month and rotate discipline to the main tournament followed by a second chance event. PokerStars lets you claim 15,000 free chips every four hours. Join the Antioch Fans Group uh, Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Check out our 11 vintage Antioch logo designs on merchandise at antiochmagazine.com slash shop. Buy t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and much more with your choice of Antioch Magazine, Antioch PokerCast, or Antioch PokerTour logos. And if you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast at antiochmagazine.com. Or post in the Annie Up Fans group on Facebook. Hey, we get to complete O'Malley's move today, so here comes part one for a refresher, and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are back at our $1, $2, No Limit Omaha home game. To be clear, this game is pot limit preflop with an assumed completed small blind, and then changes to no limit after the flop. The game is six-handed, and we sit with 200 close to our starting stack. It is early in the night. The blinds post, the under the gun, and MP fold, and we are in the cutoff with the jack of spades, ten of diamonds, nine of diamonds, six of spades. This is a speculative hand, but it does have quite a bit of potential. We would like to try to buy the button. We make it $6 to go. The button does not like our plan and calls. This player is a solid Omaha player, but rarely raises preflop, choosing instead to outplay his opponents and build pots after the flop. He started the hand with 325. The small blind folds, the big blind calls, and we go to a flop. With roughly $20 in the pot, it comes down the ace of spades, Eight of diamonds, seven of hearts. The big blind checks, and with our decent wrap, we're going to make a bet. Since all of our outs are nut outs, and we have emergency backdoor outs to a flush, and even a long shot straight flush, we make it $15 to go. The button thinks briefly before tripling our bet, making it $45 to go. Are we up against a set of eights or sevens here? The big blind folds, and we decide to call. With around 110 in the pot, the turn is the four of diamonds. We've just increased our outs, but have decreased some of our nut outs. What's the move? All right, we're in a good spot with a ton of outs. Uh, since our opponent likes to build pots post-flop, as he's been described, uh, I feel like checking and letting him build it more for us. You know, I think I'm going to bet, like, pot, or at least look to check raise. We have a monster wrap and even a small flush draw, so... Uh, I, I'm going to be a little more aggressive with this, I think, than I normally would be. So here comes part two. Hello again. This is why it absolutely sucks being out of position in this game and why I did my best to buy the button before the flop. I don't have a lot to go on here other than a few things. One, our opponent didn't re-raise pre-flop, so it's probably not a set of aces. Two, this could be 5-6, but I'm not sure what starting hand this solid opponent would have called a raise with to encompass that. I'm not entirely discounting it, however. Three, if it is something like 5-6 or a set, we do have outs to connect. All right, I talked myself into it. I'm going to flip being out of position on its head. We shove for 150 into 110. Our opponent agonizes over this decision. Our hearts almost leap out of our chest when he utters, Why does this feel like just a huge draw? 
One at a time, he tables the Ace of Clubs, then the Eight of Hearts, shuffles his two remaining cards in his hand, and then pitches them all to the dealer. He would later tell us he had queens. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, Position be damned. Sometimes you have to flip things on their head. I hope to see you on the felt. Okay, well, we won the pot with a lesser hand, uh, but did we leave value on the table? Uh, have we checked and let him take another stab at this? I think so. Obviously, that also leaves us open to not catching up on the river and losing. Uh, so definitely a good debate to have, I think. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, but I, I'm always happy with an outcome that, that gives me the win, especially when we're maybe statistically it was pretty close, but we actually were behind uh, physically. And, you know, we could have lost if we had checked and then he checks behind and then we're not as brave later. And I love that we just took down the hand and got on the fold because if he had those queens that he said, then we were actually behind and, and you don't know. You would have had to have hit and or I'll bet him somehow later. And I just I'm always happy to take a pot down when I can take a pot down. I realize there are values that you're missing sometimes, but in this case, I was happy to win it. Well, yeah, I mean, he had the, the top uh, top two right there anyhow. So, I mean, the queens were just kind of back up for him yeah right? so yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah so we still had to hit one of those but uh kind of seems like a modified monty hall problem here chris oh no now you know what you're gonna quote this every week on the show now i think <laughs> now that you finally grasped one mathematical thing maybe you know? i'm gonna call it the wayne brady problem just to differentiate it <laughs> from the monty hall problem here but uh would you rather take a guaranteed win i shouldn't say guaranteed Let's say, would you rather take a 75% chance at winning the pot right now versus a whatever percentage chance of winning a bigger pot, uh, a lesser chance of winning a bigger pot, I guess is what I'm saying. Because that's what would have happened here, right? Yeah. So by shoving here, uh, we got him to fold. He thought about it, so it wasn't a, a, a slam dunk that he was going to fold, but he, he, he folded. So we won the pot. Uh, we had nothing. We had jack high. Jack high! Jack high! Uh, and uh, uh, so we won. Uh, but, you know, I guess that's the question, though, is that if we checked and he bet, uh, we would get more money. But there would have been one more card to come. And had that card not helped us, we wouldn't have had enough money to shove at that point to push him off, I don't think. Right. So right. we would have had to hit that card. Yeah. Statistically, you'd have to go in and say, OK, what are the odds that I win? And then what's the payoff if I win? And then if I win by shoving what are the odds that i would win and then what's the payoff there and then you compare the two numbers and if you know just like when you say oh yeah you only have to win one out of ten times on the end with a bluff then it's profitable if you you know so it's the same sort of thing i i, I don't know if it's necessarily as complex as the money hall wayne brady problem but i think it's no, of course not no one's gonna write a book about it yeah i'm, I'm <laughs> loving i'm loving to fold is what i'd say i i always want to take some money rather than taking a chance at losing a lot of money so well, hey, this is an interesting challenge for one of our uh, our listeners because we're, we're we're too lazy to do it. But uh, this this actual this actual situation, we have almost all the information to do a proper mathematical uh, computation. The only and the, and the only thing we don't have is you know what the chances are that our opponent would have folded for a shove on the river after we called his bet. Uh, I think we can say safely say it's pretty minimal. Yeah. Uh, but but assuming we know he folded for 150 here, so you've got that. Uh, we don't obviously know if he checked how much he would have bet. We I, there's no way he's not betting. I don't think with top two when he's already taken the lead in his hand, right? So, and then we have all of our cards, and I mean we don't know all of his cards, but 
uh, we've got enough of his cards to figure it out, right? So, you know, we got the two he showed, and then he said he had two queens. So, um, you know, it's a club and a heart, so I don't think he wouldn't have had any flush possibilities. So that wouldn't have mattered either. So, yeah, it might have been interesting to see that see that math problem there. And because uh, that's, that's good to know going forward, right? You know, so, yeah. And, and the thing is, the guy had to be convinced that we had five, six or a set. And, you know, I mean, and even then, aces and eights, you know, I, I, I don't know if I, I guess I still fold if I, if I think the guy, obviously if he has yeah, a straight, I, mean, I think so. But if he has a set, I probably still fold because I still have to hit four outs to beat him. And it can't be the set. If it's a set that the hands cards already have, like he has the other two eights or something, then I'm kind of screwed to the last ace so, or last two aces. So I guess he would fold even no matter what. It, by us shoving, we're showing him we have a hand better than aces and eights and he, he can't call there. Yeah, and if you're a beginning Omaha player, this is a great lesson here because our opponent has been described as a solid Omaha player. So solid Omaha players do not get married to top two. Um, yeah. They do yeah. not get top, uh, married to anything other than top set. So you are able to push them off if they don't have those things. Now, that's not – I don't think – I mean, we didn't have a big conversation about the range of hands we had in there. Uh, that's not what I thought he had. Um, but if we thought that's what he had, that, that show makes a lot of sense because it's really, really, really hard, I think, uh, for a good Omaha player to make that call there. Unless that good Omaha player thinks that we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. even then, though, it, it's tough because, you know, there's so many ways to beat uh, top two, um, and especially with that board, the way it's developed. So, you know. Got it. Got it. We've talked so long about this, I thought it was hand of the week. <laughs> I was like, we still have a hand of the week left. It really was a fascinating one. It so. was, it was. All right, it is time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands with situations podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And we have a situation this week, and it's PLO, so it's an all PLO show here. Nice. Although I guess it was NLO, Al <laughs> PLO. Uh, Matt Hayward, our friend from down under uh, who loves to play uh, uh, PLO, is back. And it's a situation, so once again, we will read through the whole thing and then dissect it after that. Uh, let's see. Uh, first of all, he says that he hopes all, all is well. And where is 2021 gone? He's like, there's been 13 weeks of hard lockdowns here in Melbourne, Australia, and 2021 alone. So, oof. But hey, Jeez. they control the crap out of COVID down there. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. They had like one case and they shut down the entire country, so. Uh, all right, so he says this is a PLO online hand. Uh, let's see, uh, nickel, dime, PLO online, max $5 buy-in. Uh, we are in the small blind three-handed with $24.08. And, oh, and uh, he says, and uh, he says, yes, I've had a good little session. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I guess so. Quintipled. Quintipled? <laughs> I don't know. Ever since I screwed up octagonal like ten years ago, I don't ever try to do anything about stuff like that. I forget the term. So, all right, the button folds, so we're heads up with a big blind. Uh, they have been loose, aggressive, and have been willing to show both their big bluffs and big hands when folded too. We have the ace of clubs, ace of hearts, king of diamonds, six of diamonds, raise pot to fifteen cents. Big blind with eleven oh four in a stack raises to forty five cents. Uh, we four bet to dollar thirty-five, and he says, "Yes, the telegraphs are hand. We don't have a super premium combo to go with our aces." 
Uh, however, I always feel, A, uh, you want to build a pot with aces for times when you do hit well, and who knows, maybe your opponent has been dealt something decent themselves, while B, action on the flop can be fairly telling, any pushback from opponents can give you heavy hints if your aces have been cracked and you bet with no ace on the board. In hindsight, being out of position with this sort of player, maybe just a flat would be better, uh, but we work quite deep. Big blind does call, the pot is 256, the flop comes, the jack of spades, seven of diamonds, I'm sorry, Jack of Spades, Seven of Spades, Deuce of Diamonds. Uh, I says, oh boy, does this suck. Uh, checking gives control, but you can't tell what the future action represents because you get no tangible information. So we've got three-fourths of the pot, which is $1.93. Opponent raises to $8.36, leaving $1.33 behind. Uh, and uh, we fold. So he says, uh, the way I see this is very nearly ahead or way behind. There's always a chance my opponent has a bluff or complete air. That tends to be unlikely in Omaha, so I doubt it. Uh, he says, I do uh, fold face up, hoping to get them to show. And they do. They had the king of spades, ten of spades, nine of hearts, eight of hearts for a flush and a gut shot. And he says, Fun funnily enough, the online site where I play allows you to see the next card. And the turn was the six of spades, giving him the flush. Could be a results-oriented, but it makes me feel better. Ran the numbers after pre-flop. We were a 56.4% favorite post-flop. A 40.4 underdog. Uh, hard to know the numbers when you play since you can't see the cards, but it makes me feel better. So what do we think about this? Well, again, I think I agree with him with the we're playing them face up if we're just three-betting pre-flop like that or whatever you want. We raise, he three-bet, so we, whatever. So when we re-raise him, well, I, I think that that's kind of just throwing money away until the flop. I... I it's one thing if you know the guy's going to want to get it all in with you and you're just betting pot and he's betting pot and you're like, okay, we're going to get it all in. I'm going to have aces with a suited king. That's one thing. But if you know that you guys aren't just shoving together to do this, then you might as well just call. And especially if you know you're going to be out of position on hands, um, he might at first he might have thought, oh, they're just, he's just doing this because he's got, you know, he, he thinks I'm going to fold because I'm in the big blind if he raises here and takes it. So he fought back with his decent hand. It's not a. There's no real nut things in there until you get a flop to know. But um, it's not really that good of a hand. I, it's not a hand that I would raise, re-raise with. I'll tell you. But he knew he had position on you. So I think the way to lose less money on this is to just, you know, flat, and then see if he raises pre-flop. And if he does, then you might pop it again or you call it. But I would probably still just call when that flop comes. You know, it's jack, seven, deuce, so it's horrible for us. You know, I don't mind checking and seeing what he does. Then he bets a little bit. Then you could say, all right, well, maybe I'll call and pop an ace on the turn for a small price, or I'll get out of it on the turn. The turn is where a lot of the money is made in Omaha. So at that point, you know, and there's no way he was – I mean, he was semi-bluffing, but with 836 and you only had 11 to start, you know, you, you, you can't possibly think you're ahead, even though you were, although statistically – you know, I mean, you had a pair of kings and you had your aces in your hand. Um, you had no real redraws. This guy had redraws up, yep. you know, up the wing yang. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think taming it down pre-flop is probably the best way to, to revisit this hand. Um, and then after the flop, you know, I'm thinking, I missed this completely. If I played it a little more passively early, I can get away with a check call here and try to hit the turn for a cheaper price. And even if you hit the turn... You know he's probably still not going anywhere, so I, I don't see how you, I don't see how you win this hand unless something phenomenal happens for you on the turn and he believes it. So, 
Um, I like the way he, I, I like the way he played it. I think I think that he got aggressive, wasn't believing you preflop, and then got aggressive again. Said, I, "No, I'm controlling this hand, and I've got a decent flush draw." And you're just in the small blind. I think you're just trying to take advantage of me. And you weren't really, you weren't doing that, but it didn't matter. So to me, uh, I would have not been as aggressive with that hand as I as you were. Yeah, a couple of things here. One, this is why I love that it's pot limit and why you should play pot limit, not no limit. And I, I, I know it's not a dig to our friend O'Malley because it does pot limit in his game after the flop, though I don't understand why. Yeah, it's kind of uh, Because it does keep away that, that nuclear option. I mean, because really the way we would have won this had been to shove on the flop, but we couldn't shove because they're, we're limited by the pot. So you got to play poker. So that's kind of really why I like the, the, the pot limit. Uh, particularly in Omaha with all this stuff. So, again, we went back to what we discussed last week. Uh, you know, the proper play, if you if it's not pot limit, is to go all in with aces every single time. So uh, the fact that we uh, we four bet, I think, was the right way to go, particularly heads up. I mean, aces heads up. Um, you know, ace, aces are not as strong as they are in Hold'em, but heads up in Omaha, I think they're massively strong. Um, and we had some other stuff to go with it as well, too. So I, I don't fault the four bet. There, um, it really, really does suck when we completely whiff on that flop. Nothing on that flop whatsoever. Um, and the best we could have hoped for is to get one, another ace by the end of this. Um, or runner, runner, uh, diamond. Even uh, that's not the nuts. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, uh, it would be great if there's the ace of diamonds. That would have yeah. been super cool. Yeah. Um, but so, I unfortunately at that point, this is the problem with Omaha, though. I mean, I, I, I think you can't take your foot off the accelerator here, even though you missed that flop. That's that's what makes Omaha such a roller coaster ride is that you know you have to be as aggressive as it, as he was pre flop, but then it forces you to keep that aggression up on, on the flop, which when you and you miss. And Omaha is not a game where you want to whiff, completely whiff uh, the flop because that opponent has four cards. You only had one opponent because we didn't have it. Maybe eight or 12 cards we're up against. Um, so it really hurts to have to like, put that pot bet out there. But I think that's what you had to do. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, you know, the three-handed uh, PLO is not for the faint of heart, folks. Um, and, you know. You're in your local courtroom and you see three people playing PLO, and that's not a game I would be getting into <laughs> for something else. I only agree I with agree. the bet on the flop if we only got a call pre-flop. We bet 15 cents. He popped it to 45. Now he's got control. Then we re-re-pop it, and it's like, or is that what happened, right? We bet 15. Yep. He, called, yep, he re-raised, and we re-raised again. But by him calling, I mean, I guess you have to bet. I guess I guess I agree. Never mind. I, I was thinking that it ended at the 45 I mean, I, I cent, but it he, didn't. Yeah, he, he left a raise on the table, right, I think. I mean, yeah. he could have raised yeah. this one more time. So the fact that he didn't means that – I think means that he can't have aces because aces would have repopped as a good. So we, we were – there's no way for us to assume that we weren't ahead – pre-flop now obviously yeah. when the flop comes um all bets are off the table at that point so and we did bet three-fourths of the pot so it's not like we did much else and then he quickly raised pot anyhow so it was all going to get in anyhow yeah um and the fact that we folded there was the right play at that point because you there's no no reasonable expectation that our aces were good there or that we could even catch up to when our order behind uh, reasonably catch up to what was behind so 
Um, it sucks, but you know, hey, that that's that's what you sign up for when you're playing three-handed Omaha. It really is. So, a lot of guessing. If you think playing heads up uh, Hold'em is hard, try to play heads up Omaha sometime. Yeah, yeah, that's brutal. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for sending that in, Matt. We appreciate it. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.